You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Week 14 in the NFL is where we are right now. Week 15 will start in a couple of days with a huge game for the Giants because the first game for Week 15, the Thursday night game, the Amazon Prime game, will be in Seattle as the Seahawks host the 49ers. You look at the playoff scenarios for the two local teams, which both lost. Felt like they both lost last week, too. I was about to say which both lost on Sunday again because the Giants had chance after chance to beat Washington last week. They did tie, so they didn't lose, but it felt like a loss. But they did both lose today. Giants most certainly lost 48-22. to uh, Giants, uh, Jets lose 20-12 to in Buffalo. So the deal for the Giants in the NFC right now, as you look at the standings in the playoff picture for them, they're still in one of those playoff spots for the moment. The Giants, with a record of 7-5-1, and one, are in the seventh spot. They have the same exact record now as Washington. With the Giants lost today, Washington was on its bye. Washington has the tiebreaker based on winning percentage in division games. Washington is 1-2-1. Giants are 0-3-1. The bottom line is this. Giants win next week over Washington on Sunday night. They have the tiebreaker over the Commanders. And the Giants, because of that tie the tiebreaker for them isn't really going to come into the picture or be much of a factor except against that one team. Next week's game is so big for the Giants. If they win next week's game, I really think they get into the playoffs. And based on what we saw last week, the Giants can beat the Commanders. They should have beaten them last week. If John Feliciano, after a big first down completion to the 35-yard line in that fourth quarter, just turns around and goes back to the huddle and doesn't say a word, the Giants win that game, and then they be 8-5 and five right now. They're not, but they proved that they were good enough to beat the Commanders, and they get another chance to do it next week. So the, Gi- the Commanders and Giants, both 7-5-1, and one. And let's eliminate, obviously, the Cowboys. They're in the playoffs, not officially, but a 10-3. and three, They're going to be locked into the number five seed in the NFC. So it's the sixth seed and the seventh seed that we're fighting for. Washington and the Giants are both 7-5-1. and one. The Seahawks are 7-6. and six. And the Lions, which are 5-1 and one in their last six games, the Lions are now 6-7. and seven. Detroit's schedule not overly taxing. They're at the Jets next week, which might be their toughest game. Then they go to Carolina, which is playing better and won in Seattle today. Then a home game for the Lions against the Bears. Who knows, they'll be playing for the Bears by then. And then they finish their season at Lambeau Field against the Packers team that will have nothing to play for. All right, the Giants, we know the schedule. They're at Washington Sunday night. Then they go to Minnesota. Then they come home for Indiana. Indianapolis, excuse me. I was just doing Knicks basketball. I'm in my NBA phase still. And then the season ends week 18 at Philadelphia against an Eagles team that will probably have everything locked up. So what are the most likely wins for the Giants? I mean, they're all winnable games. You know, Minnesota's 10-3, and three, yes. But according to, you know, the metrics and the DVOA and the point differential and all of that stuff, they're more along the lines of an 8-5 and five team. They've won a lot of close games. They got their clocks cleaned today by the Lions. So can the Giants win in Washington? Yes. Can the Giants win in Minnesota? Yes. Can the Giants win at home against the Colts? They better. If you don't win that game, then you're probably not going to the playoffs. And then can the Giants win in Philadelphia Week 18? 
obviously the only reason I say yes is if the Eagles have everything locked up, the number one seed, the bye, and they're not playing Jalen Hurts, and they're not playing A.J. Brown, and they're not playing any of their starters, which would be the wise thing to do because they have bigger goals in mind. So are there two wins for the Giants in those four games? Yeah, there are. You know, Washington's schedule is tougher. Washington obviously plays the Giants on Sunday night. Then they go to San Francisco. Big game for the 49ers. 49ers have a chance at the number two seed. Now they're 9-4. and four. All of a sudden, they're only a game behind Minnesota for the number two seed in the NFC. Then a home game for Washington against Cleveland. We still don't know what Cleveland is. Deshaun Watson's second game back. They lost to the Bengals. We'll go through the league in a minute. So will Watson be less rusty by then? You think so. And then the Week 18 game against Dallas. Washington could be in a similar situation as the Giants that week. Dallas, there's a very good chance, is going to have the number five seed locked up Week 18. They're not catching Philadelphia. So the best they could do is five, and they're not being caught by anybody behind them. So they're probably going to be in a position to rest people also, which will benefit the commanders. So don't just think that the Giants are the only team that's going to benefit from that. We did Detroit's schedule, and then Seattle, Thursday night against San Francisco at home. Then they go to Kansas City, which is fighting for the number one seed in the AFC, tied right now and not holding the tiebreaker against Buffalo. Then Seattle hosts the Jets, and then they finish by hosting the Rams. So Seattle has the toughest schedule out of everyone. Their next three opponents are all playing for something significant and all very good teams. You know, San Francisco and the Jets, terrific defensive teams. Kansas City is Kansas City. We know what they're capable of. That's the NFC. The AFC, the Jets have Detroit and Jacksonville at home. And let's set it up for you first. The AFC, and it's a little murky right now because of the Sunday Night Football game with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. The Chargers lead the Dolphins 20-14. to Chargers have the ball right near midfield. So this is a one-possession game right now. Chargers with the lead and with the football. They just moved into Miami territory. Chargers right now are 6-6. Six and six. New England is 6-6. Six and six. And the Jets are 7-6 and six and in the seventh spot in the AFC. A Chargers win doesn't help the Jets because it would pull uh, Los Angeles even with the Jets. However, it would help the Jets because a Miami loss would pull the Jets to within a game of the Dolphins. So right now in the AFC, you have, let's call it, four teams for two spots. Miami at 8-4, and four, pending tonight's game. Jets at seven and six, New England at six and six, they play tomorrow, and the Chargers at six and six, they're playing right now and winning. So the Jets finish with Detroit Jacksonville at Seattle at Miami. All right, so all four of those teams with something to play for. Detroit and Jacksonville playing very well, better than the record indicates. Seattle, we talked about their scenario. They're battling for one of the NFC spots with the Giants and Miami and the Jets. That could be a winner win or go home game to finish the season. And we've seen those before in 2008 with Chad Pennington and Brett Favre at the old giant stadium. The chargers after this game against the dolphins, they host Tennessee next week. They go to Indianapolis. They host the Rams. They go to Denver. That is a very, very easy schedule. That's about as light a schedule coming home as you could have. 
So this is a huge, huge game from the Jets' perspective. The Jets would really benefit by seeing Miami come back and winning this game. And then you have New England. They're at Arizona tomorrow. The Cardinals are terrible. That'll be on Monday night. New England goes to Las Vegas next week. Is Las Vegas dead after what happened to them last Thursday against the Rams? Maybe. But that's interesting because you have Josh McDaniels against Bill Belichick. And I know McDaniels has had just a brutal season. I mean, losing to Jeff Saturday in his third day on the job and then losing to Baker Mayfield his second day on the job. That's not the kind of parlay that you want. So New England goes to Vegas. Then they host Cincinnati. They host Miami. And then they visit Buffalo. And that could be for the number one seed in the AFC. So New England's schedule is very difficult coming down the stretch as the Chargers continue to drive now inside the red zone looking for at least a field goal to make this a two-score game. All right, let's go around the NFL. Week 14, last week of buys. Not a lot of heavy hitters had the day off. The Bills and the Jets, look, we talked about that at the beginning of the show. Uh, 20-12 to 12 final score. Jets show a lot of fight. Defense did what the defense does in the first half. It was snowy. It was rainy. It was a wintry mix. Uh, Buffalo knocked Mike White out of the game for two plays in the second quarter. They didn't move the ball when Joe Flacco was out there. White came back in, and the offense seemed to click much better. Second half, White gets knocked out of the game again. Injured ribs. They can't move the ball when he's out of the game. He comes back into the game, and they're able to move the ball, but not enough. The Bills made just enough plays. Uh, Bam Knight ran for a nice touchdown. Look, the Jets, they fought all game. Late in the first quarter, Buffalo scores a touchdown. They take a 7-0 lead into the locker room. Jets come out, first drive. Bam Knight carrying the ball, gets into the end zone, ties the game. Buffalo responded right away to go back up 14-7, and that was a huge play at that time. The Jets could have gotten a stop there. That game's a lot different because really, up until that touchdown drive for Buffalo in the third quarter, the only touchdown they had scored was a direct result from kind of a bonehead penalty by C.J. Mosley on fourth and one when Buffalo was trying to draw the Jets offside, and they succeeded. Mosley jumped over the line, ended up tackling Dawson Knox, the tight end who was lined up under center to try to draw the Jets offsides. So they lose 20-12. to They end up, even after falling behind 20-7, to getting a safety, getting a field goal, getting the ball back in the final minute but they were unable to travel the 80 yards uh, that would have gotten them into the end zone and given them a chance at a game-tying two-point conversion. We spoke a lot about the Eagles and the Giants. Giants just outclassed in this one. It was 21 to nothing. The only touchdown the Giants scored in the first half was a result of a special teams miscue by Philadelphia. Daniel Jones played well again, 18 for 27, 169 yards, touchdown, no interceptions. Tyrod Taylor came on at the end and put up some stats, 5 for 5 with a touchdown. You know, Jalen Hurts did what he needed to win. 21 for 31, 217 yards, threw for two touchdowns. They kept converting third downs um, on the ground. Miles Sanders, 144 yards. Hurts ran seven times for 77 yards and a touchdown. Phillies 12 and 1. They're undefeated on the road. They're the first NFL team to clinch a playoff spot, and all indications are they're going to be the number one seed in the NFC. Bengals and Browns, always fun. Second game for Deshaun Watson. 
Uh, you know, threw an interception, didn't look great, looked better than his first game when he was awful against Houston last week. Joe Burrow, two touchdowns, throws a pick. Joe Mixon comes back to give a huge lift for the Bengals' offense. He ran for 96 yards. Samaje Pirine got the touchdown on the ground for Cincinnati. Bengals are red hot right now, a 9-4 and record. They're tied atop the AFC North with Baltimore. Right now the Ravens hold the tiebreaker right now. Interesting game in Dallas between the Cowboys and the Texans. Texans led this game from start to finish. You kept waiting for Dallas to turn on the lights and turn this thing around and take the lead and take control of the game. It never happened. It didn't happen until the final minute of the game when Ezekiel Elliott got into the end zone from two yards out to finally give the Cowboys the lead. Dak Prescott, two more interceptions for him. He threw a touchdown. Do you, I trust Dak Prescott? I don't. In a big spot, I don't trust Dak Prescott. You know, Elliott runs for 62 and a touchdown. Tony Pollard runs for 42 and a touchdown. Davis Mills, 16 out of 21 for 175 yards. Houston is now 1-11-1. Dallas is 10-3, and and they're headed to the number five seed in the NFC come playoff time. Lions beat the Vikings 34-23. I think the most surprising thing about this is that it wasn't surprising at all. Lions now 6-7, and seven, and the Vikings fall to 10-3. and three. This all but eliminates the Vikings from the possibility of the number one seed in the NFC. They fall two full games behind the Eagles at 10-3. and three. Now they've got to worry about holding off the 49ers, who are only a game behind them. Cousins threw the ball 41 times. For 425 yards and a couple of touchdowns, Jared Goff throws three touchdowns, 27 for 39, 330 yards. Lions are 6-7. and seven. They've won five out of their last six games, and right now they're a game and a half out of a playoff spot in the NFC, and they're coming to MetLife Stadium to take on the Jets in a huge game next Sunday afternoon. Jaguars are turning it on late in the season. Is it too little too late? Not necessarily. Even though they're 5-8, and eight, they're two games behind Tennessee. They beat the Titans on the road today, 36-22. Second time in three weeks, Trevor Lawrence has a monster game. He's really starting to figure it out. Last week, they ran into the buzzsaw that was the Detroit Lions, but two of his last three games have been phenomenal. Lawrence, 30 for 42 for 368 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Travis Etienne, uh, not a big factor on the ground. Derrick Henry runs for 121 yards and a touchdown. Ryan Tannehill throws two touchdowns. So Jacksonville's 5-8. and eight. Tennessee is 7-6. and six. Two games separate them. They play each other again. If Jacksonville wins that, they would own the tiebreaker and only have to make up one additional game from there. All right, that's the first half of the slate. We'll take a quick break as uh, Joe and Jacob, our producers, are telling me to slip that in. Uh, we'll go through the rest of Week 14 in the NFL, including the lone remaining Sunday game between the Chargers and the Dolphins. Chargers just kicked a field goal. It's 23-14 to with less than three minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And of course, your calls. If you want to weigh in on the Giants, the Jets, are you concerned? Will it be a failure if either of those teams miss the playoffs? Will it be a disappointment if either of those teams miss the playoffs? It's You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Pat O'Keefe with you and for Larry here on The Drive, 98.7 ESPN New York. 
uh, going through the day in the NFL. They're at the two-minute warning in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. And unless there's a miracle, the likes of which we saw in that building on Thursday night when the Rams came back to beat the Raiders, the Chargers appear headed to a huge late-season win over the Dolphins. Chargers would move to 7-6. and six. The Dolphins would fall to 8-5. and five. For as great as the Miami offense has been this season, and as wonderful a story as they've been, the emergence of Tua, Tyreek Hill proving that it wasn't just the Chiefs system and Patrick Mahomes that made him great. He is great. Jalen Waddell and Hill, this dynamic duo. Mike McDaniel, this new age quarterback, or excuse me, offensive guru. For all of those storylines about the Dolphins, there's the real possibility that exists that they could miss the playoffs this season. They absolutely could. And I can't look away from that Week 18 matchup between the Jets and the Dolphins in Miami that literally could be the winner goes to the playoffs and the loser goes home. Because unless the Dolphins have a miracle comeback here in the final two minutes, the Jets are going to be just one game behind the Dolphins with the tiebreaker for now leading into that Week 18 matchup down in Miami. All right, we'll continue to go around the NFL Week 14. Ravens beat the Steelers 16-14. to Ravens keep pace with Cincinnati, but there is such a different feeling about those two teams right now. They're both 9-4. and Look, you take the wins where you can get them. This was a rough game for both quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson already wasn't playing for Baltimore, and then they lost Tyler Huntley into the concussion protocol. Meanwhile, the Steelers lose Kenny Pickett into the concussion protocol. Pittsburgh fell behind early. They battled back. They stayed with them the entire game, losing 16-14. to Steelers are now 5-8. and If they won this game, they would have been a very interesting piece of this AFC playoff picture. But now at 5-8, and needing to run the table just to finish 9-8, and I don't think they're going to have enough to be a factor going forward. We'll see about Kenny Pickett once he left the game. Look, Trubisky put up some numbers, 22 out of 30 for 276 yards. He did throw for a touchdown. Pickett's been playing well. He's clearly their quarterback going forward. He has seized that job late in the season. But once he went down, you really didn't feel good about their prospects of coming back to beat the Ravens, even without Huntley. The, the main thing to keep an eye on for the Steelers, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. And they're now 5-8, and eight, and they've got four games to go. So they need to run the table for that to continue to be the case. The Chiefs jumped out to a 21-0 lead over the Broncos. Russell Wilson threw a pick six as he's running off the field after that pick six to make it 21-0. You had to think he was the most hated man in the state of Colorado. He still might be. I mean, that trade... You know, we had Jordan Renan on with us last hour talking about the Kenny Galladay free agent signing and how that's an all-time awful free agent signing. I mean, the Russell Wilson trade between the Broncos and the Seahawks, that's like a franchise ruiner. The fact that they're paying him so much money, the trade and the subsequent contract extension, the fact that they're paying him all of that money, he is a shell of his former self and they had to give up basically their future in terms of draft picks. I mean, Seattle is better now, and they're going to get the Broncos' first-round draft pick, which could be a top-five draft pick. It probably will be. It is a disastrous trade. 
So the Chiefs are now 10 and 3. They keep pace with the Bills, also 10 and 3. Buffalo has the tiebreaker. They beat Kansas City, so the Chiefs have to finish ahead of them to earn the number 1 seed and the first round bye. And that's one of those games that'll come into play in the Jets playoff, uh, excuse me, the Giants playoff chase as Kansas City hosts Seattle in two weeks. So a lot for them to play for down the stretch. Mahomes 28 for 42, 352 yards. He threw for three touchdowns. Wasn't a perfect day for Patrick Mahomes. Three interceptions as well. Wilson throws for 247, three touchdowns and an interception. Ran for 57 yards. And then he also left in the concussion protocol. Quick update from Los Angeles. The Dolphins kicked a field goal, and now they set up for an onsides kick. It's a loose ball. It was loose a couple of times as the Chargers' hands team did not recover it on the first attempt or the second attempt with a minute and seven seconds to go. There's a pile up here. The score is 23-17, to 17, and if this is Miami's ball, it's not. Miami had two chances to get it as the Chargers bungled it a couple of times. Uh, Miami's out of timeouts with 67 seconds to go. So it looks like the Chargers are going to hold on to win a big late season game. Uh, We'll update you on how that impacts things for the Jets and the rest of the AFC playoff picture. But uh, back to the Chiefs Broncos, 34-28, the final score. Broncos, a dead team walking. Chiefs, 10-3. Brock Purdy. Wow, for the 49ers, his first start, they beat Tom Brady and the Bucks 35-7. to You know, go back to last Monday night, Brady's ridiculous comeback against New Orleans. New Orleans had that game won, all right? Tampa Bay wins. Brady throws the touchdown pass with three seconds to go. If that game did not flip as it did, all right, and if New Orleans, which had controlled the game the entire night, if they had hung on to win, right now, all four teams in the NFC South would be tied with a record of 5-8 and eight if New Orleans held on to win that game. That's how huge of a game that was. Right now, uh, Tampa Bay is 6-7. Carolina and the Falcons are 5-8. and eight, And New Orleans still technically not out of it, although they're pretty much out of it. They're 4-9. and nine. Does anybody have any confidence that the Buccaneers are good enough to win that division? I mean, they went to San Francisco and had their doors blown off by the last pick, the seventh-round pick in the draft. And I know San Francisco is uh, talented everywhere but quarterback, and it turns out they're pretty talented at quarterback as well. But the infrastructure of that team is fantastic. Um In his first NFL start, Purdy throws two touchdowns. Uh, He ran for another one. Christian McCaffrey ran for 119 yards and a touchdown. He also caught a touchdown pass from Purdy. Brandon Ayuk caught a touchdown. Debo Samuel injured and left that game. So that's one of, obviously, San Francisco's best offensive weapons. They've got a lot more than they used to. San Francisco absolutely dominates Tampa Bay. If you ask me right now who's the best team in the NFC, I would say it's Philadelphia. If you ask me right now who's the second-best team in the NFC, there's no question it's San Francisco. And depending on how good Brock Purdy could be, when all is said and done, San Francisco might be the best team in the NFC. They're very similar to Philadelphia, 
The biggest difference is the quarterback play. You know, Philadelphia is getting top-flight quarterback play from Jalen Hurts. San Francisco got top-flight quarterback play from Brock Purdy today. I need to see it for more than a game and a half. So they're 9-4. and four. The Bucs are 6-7 and seven and still in first place in the NFC South, trying to hold off the Panthers. The Panthers are the team that's playing the best in the NFC South right now. They jumped all over the Seahawks and then held on for a 30-24 to 24 win. Sam Darnold against Geno Smith. <laughs> you can't make that up. You know, Darnold, nothing special. Threw a touchdown. Didn't throw any interceptions. Seattle's starting to come back to earth. They got off to a great start. Pete Carroll did a great job uh, getting that team a very similar coaching job to what Brian Dayball earlier in the season at a certain point, talent or lack thereof is going to catch up to you. That's what happened to the Giants, or has happened, and that's what's happening to Seattle. Now, at 7-6, and six, they built up a lot of wins early. Will they have enough over these final four games to make it into the playoffs? That's the question that Giants fans are asking themselves. Same with Seattle. And Carolina now at 5-8, and eight, and just a game behind Tampa Bay, I mean, Carolina traded Christian McCaffrey. They fired their head coach, thinking that they could get a top-five pick in the draft next year. They might be headed to the playoffs. I mean, their remaining schedule, they host the Steelers next week. And again, we don't know if Kenny Pickett will be playing. Then they host the Lions. Not an easy game. Then they go to Tampa Bay on New Year's Day, a 1 p.m. game. That could be for the division. Think about it. Sam Darnold, Tom Brady... NFC South on the line, New Year's Day at 1 p.m., and then they finish in New Orleans on the 8th, Week 18, against the Saints. So the Panthers are very, very much alive. Uh, so are the New England Patriots, and they play tomorrow on Monday Night Football against the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals are a dead team. They're going nowhere this season. Not sure if their coach is going to survive past this year. The Kyler Murray situation is a mess. You talk about bad body language and just bad vibes overall. The last thing you want to see from your quarterback. Uh, Kyler Murray, to me, just does not appear to be a winning player. His entire career, the trajectory of his entire career, really changed for the worse in that playoff performance last year against the Rams. At the time, I just thought, it was one of those days where everything goes wrong. I mean, it really was just taken as an individual game, one of the worst single-game playoff performances I've ever seen. And those things happen. I thought he could move past it. He got the contract extension in the offseason. They bungled that with the language in the contract that he had to study the playbook more, which I've always said two things about. Number one Stupid thing to put into a contract and stupid thing to allow to get out. That's number one. Number two, there had to be a reason why they wanted that language in the contract. And can, has somebody ever told me that Kyler Murray was studying his playbook enough and, and had a handle over the offense to the satisfaction of the Cardinals? So, well, one of those deals where, where there's smoke, there's fire. And the relationship between he and his head coach and this whole season, I mean, you talk about a guy walking around thinking he's bigger than the team or bigger than the program. That's been Kyler Murray. So I expect the Patriots to win tomorrow. I expect them to get to 7-6, and six, to pull even with the Jets, to pull even with the Chargers, who just wrapped up a win over the Dolphins. And things are going to get very interesting in the AFC and the NFC over the final four weeks. How do the current positions of the Giants and the Jets relate 
to the current positions of the Knicks and the Nets. I will make that comparison when we come back. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Islanders, Rangers, Devils, all three teams good this year. Devils are great. They'll be at Madison Square Garden tomorrow to take on the Rangers. We'll have that right here on 98.7 beginning at 6.30. Uh, Rangers just finished up their best week of the season. Is it a sign that things are starting to turn around? You certainly hope so. A 6-4 to four win over the Blues, and then they went out west Beat the Golden Knights 5-1. to one. Vegas is very good. And then in a shootout, they beat the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Colorado Av- Avalanche, 2-1. to one. So six points for the Rangers in their last three games. Uh, Devils whipped up on them a couple of weeks ago, so the Rangers will look to atone for that. Devils are in first place. Islanders in fourth place. Rangers in fifth place in the division. Now, how about this? Talk about the local teams in different sports. Obviously, most of the conversation about uh, football today. The Knicks did win uh, 112-99 to over Sacramento. So the Knicks have won four games in a row for the first time all year, and they just have a completely different feel about them. Tom Thibodeau changed the rotation. He shortened the rotation. He is giving big minutes to Quentin Grimes, a defensive-minded guy who – isn't contributing a ton offensively, but what he is giving them defensively right now is more than enough. And then you have Deuce McBride, the second-year man out of West Virginia, who you always wondered how would he find his way into the playing rotation, especially this year. Obviously, you have Jalen Brunson and Derrick Rose, who's been such a key for the Knicks off the bench when available and healthy to play uh, as the backup point guard. Well, Tibbs changed things up about a week ago. McBride getting big minutes as the backup point guard. Rose not in the rotation right now. So you got defensive-minded guys. And the last four games, the Knicks are winning with defense. And it is very similar to the way they won games two years ago when they were the number four seed in the Eastern Conference. Tom Thibodeau's first year when he was the NBA Coach of the Year. So good signs there for the Knicks. They're 14-13 and now, and they are in... Uh, They're in a three-way tie for sixth place in the Eastern Conference. Atlanta, Indiana, and the Knicks are all 14 and 13. So all things considered for the Knicks, not a terrible place to be. It's a big week for them. They have two games in Chicago against the Bulls on Wednesday and Friday, and then a game in Indianapolis against the Pacers on Sunday. Obviously, all of those games will be here on 98.7. ESPN New York. But a month ago, think about this. One month ago, we were just kind of getting into the NBA season. You know, it was up and down for the Knicks. The Nets were a disaster. Kyrie Irving was suspended. Kevin Durant, as usual, was unhappy. Ben Simmons wasn't doing anything. Steve Nash had just gotten fired. I mean, that was all a month ago. If I told you one month ago that collectively the Knicks and the Nets would have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Giants and the Jets. You would have thought I was absolutely crazy. But that's where we are right now. You know, as good a story as the Knicks have been lately, the Nets, I have to say, and Jacob Perry, our producer, knows I loathe to say this, but I have to be fair, the Nets have been very impressive ever since Jacques Vaughn took over. And how about what they did? How about what they did on Saturday night in Indiana? Whether... 
missing eight guys, nine guys, no Durant. He's resting, no Irving, no Ben Simmons. That's nothing new. No Nick Claxton, no Joe Harris, no Seth Curry. And they beat the Pacers on the road. So the Nets are 16-12. and 12. They've won three in a row. And they're starting to look. It's very early. The teams are still tightly packed in the standings. The Nets are starting to separate themselves from the pack a little bit in the Eastern Conference standings. I mean, for this team, all that they have gone through so far to be 16-12 and 12 and a top-four team in the East. Because, look, they still have Durant, and he's playing at an MVP level. And they still have Kyrie Irving, who is still a dynamic offensive player. If he can ever keep his head on and and limit the distractions or dare I say, eliminate the distractions. He could still be a real contributor. And Ben Simmons, who's been in and out of the lineup, he was actually playing better before his latest injury. So who knows how much you can count on him. So they're in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. And like I just said, the Knicks have moved back above 500 for the first time in about three weeks at 14 and 13. Look, long way to go for the Knicks, but they're they're in the mix. And it's far enough into the season where they're going to continue to be in the mix. And they're ahead of some teams that you would have thought would have been ahead of the Knicks, like the Raptors, like the Heat, like the Chicago Bulls. The Wizards got off to a hot start, and they've lost six in a row right now. So right now, as hard as it is to believe, or would have been to believe a month ago, the playoff prospects for the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets are greater than the playoff prospects for the New York Jets and the New York Giants. Right now, after the Chargers just beat Miami on Sunday night football, at this moment as we speak, the Jets would be out of the playoffs because the Chargers at 7-6 and six have the tiebreaker over the Jets because they've got a better winning percentage in the AFC. So the way things shake out after that game, Buffalo, Kansas City, Baltimore, Tennessee, those are your division leaders. Baltimore by virtue of a tiebreaker over Cincinnati. Your three wild card teams right now in the AFC. Cincinnati at 9 and 4, Miami at 8 and 5, the Chargers at 7 and 6. And look out because New England is playing tomorrow and since they're playing Arizona, they've got a very good chance to get to 7 and 6. They would also vault over the Jets because they have and will continue to have the tiebreaker over the Jets. Look, the Jets weren't supposed to win these last two games. I think there would be a great level of concern if they went to Minnesota and they went to Buffalo and they were blown out in either or both of those games, and that didn't happen. And there was the potential for that to happen, especially last week in Minnesota. You know, it was Mike White's first time starting this season not in the friendly confines of MetLife Stadium, not with the home crowd behind him. Hostile atmosphere in Minnesota. They got off to a slow start. They fell behind 20-3, to and then White continued to move the ball, get them into field goal range, the red zone. Unfortunately for the Jets last week, they were unable to capitalize, but they moved the ball up and down the field. They scored on almost every drive in the second half of that game. They just weren't able to come up with the one big play or get into the end zone. But you saw some good signs from the Jets, and you saw some good signs from them against Buffalo today, but no more of the good signs. Now the good signs can only be victories over the last four weeks of the season because the Jets, look, if the Giants get into the playoffs, it's a great story. I mean, it really is, considering what 
they were at the beginning of the season, the disaster they've been for the last five years, going back to the last McAdoo year, the two Shermer years, the two Joe Judge years. That's three coaches, five years, utter disaster. All right? For them to get into the playoffs will be a huge accomplishment. But if they get there, the expectations aren't for them to do much. The Jets could do something. If they get into the playoffs, Buffalo's the number one seed right now. Robert Salas said after the game, we'll see them again. And you know what? They've already beaten them. And they gave them all they could handle in awful weather conditions today on the road in Buffalo. So if the Jets can get into the tournament, they could win a game. They really could. They have that kind of team. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Projecting when LeBron James could or will break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time NBA scoring record. Uh, Right now, he's 829 uh, points away. Based on his current average, that would take 31 games for him to become the NBA's all-time scoring champ, which is amazing if you think about it because LeBron James, you know, he's more known uh, as an all-around player, you know, distributor of the basketball earlier in his career, a terrific defensive player. He could obviously always score, but he was never known as a scorer. He was always known as so much more than that. So for him to be ultimately the all-time leading scorer would be another incredible accomplishment for him. The Lakers do play at Madison Square Garden uh, on January 31st. I did some quick math. He would need to average, that's 26 games away. He would need to play every single game. He would need to be, between now and then, average 31.9 points per game for him to break the record that night at Madison Square Garden. It's a possibility. It's just something to keep an eye on. How great would that be? You know, we saw Steph Curry almost a year ago at this time come into the Garden last year and break the all-time three-point record. I mean, this would be so much bigger. The all-time three-point record was great, but the three-point record hasn't been around for forever. You know, Curry broke Ray Allen's record. No offense to Ray Allen. He's not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's from New York, as we all know. So if that record were, if there's any way that record could be broken at Madison Square Garden. But he needs to play every game, average 31.9 a game. And if you don't think LeBron James knows what he needs to do to make that happen at Madison Square Garden, then you haven't been paying attention to LeBron James's career. He had 35 points tonight for what it's worth. Um, but 829 points away uh, from breaking what once was thought to be an unbreakable record. LeBron James' uh, all-time scoring record. Knicks win uh, their fourth in a row. Three of their last four games, they hold a team under 100. Two games in Chicago this week against the Bulls, against the Pacers then on Sunday. If they win two out of these next three games, they would be 16-14, and 14, which would not be a bad place to be through 30 games of this season. Jalen Brunson left the game tonight with nine minutes to go. They said it was a right foot injury. It looked like he may have sprained his ankle. We'll see if he plays on Wednesday. He has, in his first year, become the most important player on this team. Hasn't missed a game yet. He has started all 27. So has R.J. Barrett, and so is Julius Randle. Randle, by the way, was having a great game tonight. And then he got ejected in the third quarter when it was still a game. It was a 15-point game. Randle argued a non-foul call, 
got a tech, and then kept on going and kept on arguing and got thrown out of the game with three and a half minutes to go in the third quarter in a game in which the Knicks were leading by 15 points. They ended up winning by 13. It didn't really become a factor, but as one of the best players on the team, that's just something you can't let happen. And then as far as the Giants and the Jets, here we go. Four games to go for each of them. Giants are seventh place right now in the NFC, and the Jets right now on the outside looking in at the AFC. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN.